This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family always cranking out the big, big savings down at MyPillow. Whether you need some sleep comfort with luxurious MyPillows, you want the Air Lindells, the My Slippers, maybe a dog bed, and Giza Dream everything. You enter promo code STEAK and you're going to experience those savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STEAK here, getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear. And the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, ain't no way we're getting sued for this one. Let's get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram. It's Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome. Wednesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 205. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. Guys, we've got a great show. Lots of guests, lots of news, lots of moving parts. Noah's pretty excited. Before we get into any of that, let's jump right into it. I express this cordial welcome on behalf of the Board of Trustees and my colleague, Bauke Brend, is the President, and all the members of the Management Board, as well as all the people who are here to make your stay here enjoyable and productive. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Governments, business, civil society, the young generation, and I could go on 
I think it's a first step to meet all the challenges. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever, and, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Overhaul of the immigration system. Because not only we need those hands, like the Congress, like us, a senator was saying, but we need to also give dignity to those people who are in the country. And those are the people that I represent. We're talking about 13, 15 million people who are most of them Hispanics, I would say 85%, who speak my language, look like me, and sound like me, that are contributing with the economy of this country, and they live in the shadows. So it's time to seal the border, like she said, put order, let's see who comes in and who doesn't, and then turn around and give dignity. That doesn't mean path to citizenship, that means to include them and make them dignified members of our community. Enough already, enough. And I, I don't wanna get sidetracked onto what needs to happen, but we need to scale up climate finance, but we need desperately to scale down anti-climate finance. And we are still subsidizing the burning of fossil fuels globally at a rate 42 times larger than the subsidies for the shift toward renewables and EVs, uh, etc. We need new leadership at the World Bank. We need them to uh, scale up the leverage and vastly increase the amounts that are, are committed. And we need to rein in the anti-climate activities of the fossil industry. The idea of a neutral Ukraine under these conditions is no longer meaningful. And at the end of the process that I described, it ought to be guaranteed by NATO in whatever forms NATO can develop. But I believe Ukrainian membership in NATO would be a appropriate outcome. The need to come together also for reconstruction of Ukraine. And uh, now, of course, it may, be, it may sound premature, but we have to prepare ourselves. Could you say some words? It is of utmost importance that, on one hand, globally we raise the necessary investment for reconstruction, but that, on the other hand, at the same time, we do the necessary reforms to move forward Ukraine wants to become a member of the European Union and it is a perfect opportunity to take investment and reform to pave this way for Ukraine towards the European Union. And my call on you is we need every helping hand on board. Ukraine de deserves to have as much support as possible. And what we need is not only investment with the public sector, but the private investment. Cooperation in the fragmented world. At the beginning of this year, we are confronted with unprecedented and multiple challenges. We need 
to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. Well, that was the opening to Davos, and this is Steak for Breakfast. Welcome, everybody, to the show. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for being along for the ride. If you're new, come on in. Don't forget to follow us on every social media platform. Just type in Steak for Breakfast, and, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. And uh, kicking off here... Give you a little taste of what's going down at Davos, the World Economic Forum, as they, I don't know, collaborated all of the bad guys from every movie ever. Yeah, but they had some no-shows. Yeah, they had a couple. Like Klaus, Klaus the, the Schwab, big one. Klaus Schwab made a miraculous recovery. Henry Kissinger was remote, and then George Soros had a prior engagement. I wonder why. He's getting his flaps lubricated. But we did hear some really interesting things they were talking about. I mean, the the overlying tones there is obviously climate change. And if you're not funneling all of your money into it, then you're racist, bigot, misogynistic, you name it. And uh, also a heap and helping of Ukraine. Mm. We must not only continue to fund the war, but add them back into uh, we need to make them permanent NATO and we need to rebuild the country with our money, all of our money. How come how come none of their neighbors are giving how like are there other countries that are giving them even a percentage of what we've given them? No. Like is anybody giving them any money or are we just like we're like that rich uncle that, you know, everybody just takes advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly are. And the side dishes obviously they're both a la carte. Mm. Um kind of they kind of sit on the sides like the prostitutes that were brought in from all over the world. ESG and virtual lives. So mm. they can't get you into the pod yet, but they're going to get you into the metaverse, and it's going to be just just like it, and you're going to love it. Um, there was a couple voices in there uh, throughout the opening montage who you probably recognized. Yes, that was John Kerry. Um, Republican congresswoman from Florida, Maria Salazar, calling for mass amnesty in the United States. Al Gore, of course. And uh, I don't. Did you guys hear about the pickup? The pickup? Yeah, there's there's been a pickup recently. Pickup and what? Great friend yeah. of the show, guest scheduled for next week. Imagine that. Now, international correspondent for War Room, <laughs> Norbin Laden. <laughs> what? Oh, really? Well, yeah. Well, apparently, uh, she she was live at Davos, uh, giving a little bit of an update to the uh, larger apparatus. And uh, I found one of her clips where she was addressing this uh, climate change issue and, and, and one of the main topics down there at Davos. So let's hear one of our great friends who will be in with us next week. She's, she called it, I'll be stopping by for a Davos recap. Ooh, Kind of like it. Let's hear Nor. Um, Rove reporting outside the World Economic Forum. We mentioned yesterday the theme of the conference, which is cooperation in a fragmented world. And so Klaus Schwab, to quote again from his opening remarks, talked about the fragmentation of powers and the need for cooperation. So we really are in this realm of the coordination of the different entities that make up 
the globalist architecture in order to move towards, as I mentioned yesterday on your show, the centralization of power. And Alain Berset further made this point when he said, uh, quote, the world needs strong multilateral platforms because the greatest present day challenges are transnational, climate change, pandemic, war, migration, proliferation. So as you said in your open, climate change very much uh, features heavily in the agenda for this week because we know that this is the Trojan horse that they are using in order to digitize our society, to implement social credit score systems with carbon rations. We can expect probably climate lockdowns in the future as well, uh, all in the guise of protecting the planet. So we had a preview of certain of the policies with the so-called pandemic. Um, They tested the lockdowns um, with that. They tested the digital IDs with that as well. Uh, They kind of prepare the public for a sort of um, acceptance of the digitization of our society with the so-called pandemic. And now they're going full throttle with climate change in order to digitize all aspects of our lives. So Antoinette, this is more in your wheelhouse when we talk about things like Davos. You've been you've been calling these guys out for, for years and, and definitely are more in tune than the average probably steak for breakfast enjoyer. Um, she makes a lot of sense there talking about how, you know, the, the pandemic was like the dry run for things to come, yeah. which would be like virtual lives, social credit scores based off of like your carbon footprint, et cetera. Like, hey, that was a great S tier meme. Uh, 10 out of 10, but you get 0 out of 10 in regards to food today. Mm. So we're heading there at warp speed. I know you've seen a couple of the things that have come out of Davos so far over the course of the first couple of days. What what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, they're they're completely ditching, you know, the whole COVID narrative and jumping right onto the climate stuff. And, I mean, they know they can't continue with the, you know, with the COVID narrative. And, I mean, they're just going on with the plan that they had initially, to be fair. Yeah, it, it, it's very alarming to say the least. You know, I did mention that Republican Congresswoman Maria Salazar was there talking amnesty. Obviously, the climate czar for the Biden administration, John Kerry, spoke. Former climate czar Al Gore was there as well. Um, Kristen Cinema looked like, I don't even know. What, what, you guys saw the, like, rug that she, it looked like she was wearing a bathroom mat. Um, she was at Davos? She's there, and uh, man, I said she, she was in between um, Paul Ryan and I can't remember. He was like the White House press secretary for like three days, and then he got fired. Is Christopher Ray there as well? Christopher Ray is going to be speaking there, and hopefully we'll have that receipt for our uh, Friday edition of the show. But I just I quoted that tweet as like worst threesome ever, and, <laughs> I, and I tagged all three of them because yeah. – it, it, it's just so many people from the United States are there just shilling for the globalist movement. And one, listen, we all appreciate the First Amendment here on Stake for Breakfast. I'm sure our listenership does as well. But you know who doesn't? Kind of a surprise. He is a uh, filibuster enjoyer. Apparently First Amendment not so much. Up for uh, election this term too. Joe Manchin was talking about the First Amendment. Let's hear him weigh in from, from Davos. Uh, the problem that we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. So if you're able to have five platforms, social platforms, that you can basically um, personify the extremes, 
somebody who is extremely right or extremely left, and it seems like that is the majority speaking. They're not the majority, but they're basically driving everybody to make a decision. What side are you on? Are you on this side or this side? And in America, there's only one side, the American side. It's not the Republican side or Democrat. We should be coming together to solve the problems from a different angle. So Joe Manchin wants to be able to give you the narrative, and if you don't like it, you're against everything. And because people in the United States have the opportunity to speak out against stupid shit like climate change that isn't real, then he thinks it's a bad thing, which I think is crazy. Nah. You know, the climate change thing, I mean, there's like irrefutable evidence that it's... Just a big money laundering scheme. Well, yeah, I mean, it was glo- it was global cooling. Mm-hmm. Now it's global warming. Don't forget the ozone. And then the ozone, mm-hmm. which is actually healing itself now, apparently. The ice shelves. The ice shelves, yeah. Um, the empty shelves at stores now. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, if you're looking at the actual trending... Uh, numbers for for what they're claiming it's going exactly opposite what they and then these all these assholes are at uh at the uh davos thing or whatever like you know they're they're so fucking what what is the word i'm looking for uh brainwashed Mm -hmm. that they're just like look at the mountains there's no snow on the mountains it's like (laughs) yeah yeah if they actually believe it then you know what they're saying then they're completely disconnected and I mean, yeah, these like, are the same people that like how many fucking private jets like, hey, I know. if you guys are going to be trying to save the world from dying of, of, of fucking pollutants, why don't you guys carpool? Yeah. Right. And look, did you see all that security? Apparently the police and whatnot, and they want to take away everybody's guns. <laughs> they, yeah, over 5000 Swiss Army troops, in addition to the over 1100 private jets that flew in for the event. The Swiss Army troops, are the ones at the backpack and all the tools come out of it. Yes. Uh-huh. I like it. Um, but but a lot of the stuff that you guys just said m- may be considered in other outlets as fake news. Are you trying not to say a word? No. <laughs> I'm not, tra- not going to do it. Um, listen, former disgraced CNN analyst Ooh. and current Harvard professor, Brian Stelter. <laughs> What's he have to say? He's leading a panel at Davos on the... Uh, He's leading a panel at Davos? Yes. No. What, it, is it the panel of... Asshole. Close. <laughs> you might garrison me for this one. I'm going to try and say, disinformation is the most existential challenge we're grappling with as a society panel. Oh, really? So the disinformation, which so now has been proven to just be simply information yes there's no there's no argument are you gonna argue with a harvard professor you know i mean (laughs) maybe somebody will switch out his ears and give him a hat (laughs) all of the all the accessories go right into his butt (laughs) let's hear humpty dumpty Talk from the newsroom and the, the news publishing perspective, and then we'll work our way toward uh, some of the uh, political uh, parts of the conversation. Uh, how does this discussion of disinformation relate to everything else happening here today in Davos? Um, well, first, uh, thanks for having me as, as part of this conversation. As you can imagine, this is something I really care deeply about. So I, th- I think if you look at, at um, this question of disinformation, I think it maps basically to every other major challenge that we are grappling with as a society, and particularly the most existential among them. So disinformation, in the broader set of 
misinformation, conspiracy, propaganda, oh, oh, clickbait, you oh. know, the, the, the broader um, mix oh. of bad information that's corrupting the for this, information huh? ecosystem. Sure what it attacks is trust. And once you see trust decline, uh, what you then see um, is uh, societies start to fracture. And so you see people fracture along tribal lines and, um, and, uh, and you know, that oh. <laughs> immediately undermines pluralism. Uh-huh. And, you know, the undermining of pluralism is probably the most dangerous thing that can happen to a democracy. So I really, I think if, if, you know, if you're spending this week thinking about the health of democracies and democratic erosion, oh. I think it's really important to work your way back up to where this starts. Where does it start? At pluralism, can you look up what pluralism means? Plural, plural. You can't even say it. Plural, pluralism. He seems like he might have graduated from the uh, Mayorkas Garland School of Speaking. And um, um, well, pluralism is a, a noun, a condition <laughs> or system in which two or more states, uh, groups, uh, principles. Uh, sources of authority, etc., et uh, coexist. A political theory or system of power sharing among a number of political parties, or a theory or system of devolution and autonomy mm. for individual bodies in preference to monolithic state control. Okay. Monolithic state control. That doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. So pluralism is, he's saying pluralism is what we need. Or it's the problem. Disinformation leads to the downfall of pluralism. The downfall of a monolithic state control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm fucking fine with that. That sounds great. They're not. And you want to know what? They're going to do whatever it takes to distract you. So li- owning nothing and being happy, eating the bugs and living in a pod is definitely the goal. But in the meantime, it seems like people are kind of slow to get there. And uh, they're getting very impatient. So... For everyone that's kind of been conned into it, uh, the whole digital universe with, like, you know, Avatar, and you go to, like, oh, I go to all these places, I build my town, and don't touch me because it's even rape in virtual reality and stuff like that. Oh. Thank you. Um, it's It seems like it's leading towards the new way, um, you know, to take the digital square to the next level. And uh, for as many movies as we've seen with, like, things stuck to people's heads and while they're plugged into computers is like all things bad. Uh, we, we are definitely heading down that road with the big virtual reality push that we've had here over the last half decade. Ooh, so, what if you were plugged into like the computer and then that weird AI ghoul got in there with you? Kind of gave it, me, it gives you the fucking creeps, yeah, right? It does. Johnny, um, we, we, we might have seen uh, the first applications. Uh, I have to say for me, um, uh, it was uh, first experience to use an avatar, um, but uh, I got so fast um, accustomed to it, so I'm fascinated by the capabilities which we have. And I know it will take some time, but for me, this is the next phase, the next big phase of development in the virtual world. And we are very proud that together with our partners, we can work on making the first, u- on creating the first use of this technology for the public good. Klaus, thank you very much. 
Julie, I mean, Accenture are already using the metaverse on a, quite a massive scale internally. Can you talk a little bit about your engagement with this project and also about the wider applications for the metaverse in business? Great. Well, let's start with business and we'll start with one number, one trillion dollars. So that is what we estimate by 2025, the metaverse will influence in revenue in the private sector. And that really is going to across three big areas. So it's super simple, consumer, enterprise, and industrial. Mm. So instead of living in the pod, they're going to create a virtual one for you and, and just absolutely just drain your brain with stupidity you think the job simulator and vacation simulator games that they came out for the oculus a couple of years ago were, were kind of dumb that's going to be literally your life by 2025 according to these people and this comes at the time of the rise of other things there's there's been some massive developments in in, in like ai obviously elon musk is always touting it you know you, you could basically go on to ai generators now and and have a song produced just by putting in some keywords, have a term paper written and, and see some scary stuff. No, we were talking about it offline. The three of us were, uh, you know, in between recordings here and, uh, you got some scary stuff for our listenership. Oh, it's creepy as hell. Paint so, a picture for him right now. Well, so apparently there was some Swedish based musician and artist, I think is super com composite or something supposedly generated images using an algorithmic technique of negative prompt weights, mm. in which case, it created this fucking scary, weird, demonic-looking thing, and I guess they nicknamed it Loab. So if you, if you, if you playing along at home want to look this up, L O A B. And I first stumbled ac across this on social media where somebody was posting videos about it, and it fucking creeped me out. Like when I see these pictures, it it sends chills down like the back of my arms and my it it's fucking sketchy. So they were using AI to do basically negative prompting and it just kept getting increasingly gory and just weird. So the AI apparently just keeps on bringing this, this image back. Like, I don't know if it's, it's like when you teach something like that and then it just kind of just devolves in the background. Like your computer's always running. So like, it just keeps coming up without, like you said. Yeah. I mean, and there might be, there might not be as much to it, but it is, it is a, frightening it's just like it's like a weird bearded lady with like not like a beard but like uh stubble and like rosacea triangles underneath her eyes and just like a weird like stuffed animal with a fucking cast on i don't even know what this is it's, 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 it's creepy looking it's not the picture they were shooting for either but it keeps getting produced by what the ai is generating right yeah they're, they're saying that it keeps on uh It keeps on basically just re refreshing itself. So I'm going to go back to the, the text here. So the guy, Super Composite, says that using the image as a prompt for further images produced increasingly violent and gory results. Super, Super Composite speculated that something about the image could be adjacent to extremely gory and macabre imagery in the distribution of the AI's world knowledge. Uh, so when they combine images of Loab with other pictures, the subsequent results consistently return an image, including Lo Loab, mm. regardless of how much distortion they added to the prompts to try and remove her visage from it. So it's basically just like it keeps coming. Like uh, Eventually they were able to make it go away, but... 
Well, you know, I, you know, what I was telling you earlier about <clears throat> some people believe in, obviously, I've mentioned it before between us, like exorcists, I, I find it fascinating, that whole topic. Um, demons, actual demons and dark spirits can possess electronics and AI. So mm -hmm. this could very well be an avenue. Yeah, and I don't, I don't get weirded out easily, but like I literally like we started talking about it, and instantaneously I had that, that yeah. feeling just running down like my spine. Like I mean, like yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's yeah. It's when you think about it, if you look at the Bible too, uh, the Bible says you know beware of false prophets that can do miracles and deceive even the elects and whatnot, and AI is like shaping them to kind of be that in a way. I kind of see. I don't like the whole AI thing and the. The VR stuff, the metaverse—it just—it's always creeped me out, and well, I feel it like it just seems like it's. I mean, how many movies? How many movies have been made about this? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, Terminator, Skynet. Like, I mean, exactly. Art imitates life, or life imitates art. Well, That's, here's, I mean, here's where we are now. Here's another example of of art imitating life, because as you're talking about that, we're going to wrap up our intro to Davos this year, 2023, with. Uh, a prediction. Please don't type stuff into the AI generators and uh, leave your computer on running because obviously it's going to produce things like Noah has been describing here, but uh, they're predicting something a little bit scarier uh, for the future. Coming down the pike here in the next few years, let's hear it. We're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Security Outlook uh, Report 2023. This is a result of uh, research in collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner Accenture, which we've uh, interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. I know their favorite weapon is projection. I mean, uh, I mean, they keep no. talking about this. It's obvious that that's what they're aiming. Well, what for. do you think? What do you think knocked down all the the flight stuff recently? That's pretty yeah, weird. That they're crazy. not going to admit that we got fucking hacked by China, but we probably got fucking hacked by China. Mm -hmm. Or it was like some sort of like test. I, I've heard there. Yeah, like when people send out the emergency broadcast thing by mistake, like I flipped the wrong switch. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I heard there's some been some digital ransoms going around for those uh, flight things as well. Yeah. People are looking into that. It's getting pretty spicy, to say the least. And uh, I tell you what, I, we've covered Davos now for, I think, the last three or four years at least. Definitely back to the garage days. And um, it's just one of my least favorite things because over the course of the last couple of years, we've seen more and more uh, prominent figures in 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 the United States politics and and ones that write policy, ones that work at think tanks. And the thing is, is like when, when you just look at the list, it's like, you know, Al Gore, John Kerry, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, uh, Christopher Ray. They are some of the most disliked people and figures in the United States, but they go there and they're put up on like pedestals and everybody's like, yeah, nobody likes you because you're right. And uh, we, you shouldn't have a first amendment. We should have open borders. You, you should be sitting in the front of the video game for 20 hours a day. And if you don't give all of your money, to stopping climate change, we're going to kill you, essentially. They're telling you, again, like, we, we test run with the pandemic and, and catastrophic digital or uh, internet-based catastrophe coming down the pike in the next couple of years. I can only imagine what that's going to look like when people can't go to the ATMs or 
you know, purchase food and stuff like that for more than like a couple hours. Oh yeah, we we saw that when uh, the power went out in San Diego, like however many years ago that was, like a decade ago. Yeah, and I literally was downtown. It was fucking dark out. There was businesses open by candlelight. And I was watching people walk around like they were lost. They had no idea what to do. There was like, there there was places that were, uh, you know, doing the old school like credit card uh, receipt swiper things or whatever. Because I don't I don't I don't have any money. Like I I don't I can't buy food. Oh, the triplicate papers. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and it was just like, can you imagine like no, if it went on for even a week, no, like we would devolve into chaos. Yeah. Within yeah. two weeks. Yeah. Like, if, if shit ever goes down to the point where our electrical grid goes down, I know I've said this a thousand times, but we are fucked. A lot of zombie yeah. video games they've made about that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see. And uh, It's going to be me, like, uh, BA from the A-team. I'll be, like, welding up, like, a freaking, <laughs> like, a, like a snow plow to the front of a van. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see, and we're going to continue on with this narrative on our Friday edition of the show. We'll try to grab some more, I don't even want to call them highlights, lowlights from Davos, and uh, like I said, we're going to circle back for a full recap with Norbin Laden next week, but we're going to pick up the pace a little bit and jump in here with uh, sitting down with one of our friends who's getting ready to make some changes in the positive direction for America First. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh! You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bill's with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Joining us next on the show, she is the founder of the Dillon Law Group. She's also running for the RNC chair. Ms. Harmy Dillon, welcome back to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, now less than 10 days away from the big vote, uh, we're seeing you pick up a lot of steam, especially across social media. A lot of negative incoming press and uh, distractions, but when it comes down to it, it looks like you're really starting to whip more than just the base, like a broad uh, stroke within the GOP right now. How is the whip going, and uh, how has this race been, uh, you know, on you? I, I think you came out with a pretty good and broad platform with changes that need to be addressed and made uh, with the way we run elections, et cetera, and you know, moving through the course of this campaign, it seems like as you've picked up steam, you, you've ran into some resistance from obviously the establishment, which you're trying to draw a big line between right now. Well, look, I'm not an anti-establishment person. Being a member of the Republican National Committee is by definition an establishment role. OK, you wouldn't be there if you aren't a member of the establishment. What I think I offer is that I bridge both the establishment side of the party, which I've been in since I was you know, at the Heritage Foundation in the 1980s all the way to the America First movement and relating to all those grassroots people who came into the party and those voters who came into the party to support Donald Trump in 2016. Both of those elements of the party 
need to be retained and encouraged and expanded and everything in between in order for us to continue to win elections. And so uh, that is really, you know, what I offer. I mean, so far in this race, I've done, I think, half a dozen Zoom calls with not just grassroots voters, but state party activists in several states. I did two of them yesterday. And and I think what we're seeing from that is that we need to do a better job in involving those folks in the party. But at the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, some very heavy hitter major donors in the party who've supported us as well. Dick Uline of Uline Industries, a major donor, a billionaire who invests in a lot of different um, projects. Bernie Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot, a member of the Milwaukee Convention Committee, the vice chair, Murph Burke, who's another major philanthropist in that area. And then dozens of bundlers who are active in both the Trump campaign, Cruz campaign, other major campaigns. You can't run the party without that money. And I'm proud to have the support of those uh, major uh, in investors in the party who help keep the lights on and help us do the programs that I'd like to see expanded, including the uh, election integrity effort, election operations effort, which is critical, as well as, uh, you know, voter contacts, uh, year round efforts to expand into new communities. These are all things that will require finance. You can't do it without that. So that's the important part is putting all these things together. And, and my opponent doesn't have that. She's well ensconced in the establishment, but won't debate, won't communicate. I don't think she's ever had a Zoom call with grassroots delegates of a state party. It's so easy to do using modern technology. It took me five minutes to put together and an hour to do it. So we're going to be doing more of that if I become the chair. And even though she was almost guaranteed a spot, she's to this point not showing up on steak for breakfast. And she's come with uh, some of her closest confidants uh, expressing that she would. So we're going to call her out on that. Harmeet, you did mention the big time donors and then the grassroots movement that seems to be getting behind you right now. As someone who's worked within the RNC, you've, you've seen how it's changed, how it's kind of evolved through this new right movement that we're in right now. But where did kind of that disconnect between the very top and then the grassroots base kind of not be able to work in, in, in a really good symmetry that has helped us do the things that uh, you're hoping to be able to connect them on and change moving forward? Well, look, if you spend all of your time in resorts with wealthy people and focus on fundraising, which is important but not sufficient, you do feel like maybe those people don't matter so much. And that's, that's backwards. You can't win elections without the voters and without the activists. You, you, we can't staff a party that relies on paid activists to get out the vote. Uh, and getting out the vote is not election day operations like it was the last time the RNC really did it. It's election month operations. It's election year-round operations. It's year-round that you should be registering voters. It's year-round that should, you should be challenging local officials on the mechanics of how they run the elections and the equipment that they use and all of that. It's year-round you have to be challenging in the courts or stepping up to challenges filed by the left. So I think we have an old fashioned conception that is out of touch with reality. We've run elections a certain way. It works really well for certain consultants who make tons of money off of the cycles and how we do it. But actually the way the Democrats have been doing it for almost 20 years is totally different. They yeah. have a year round effort. They have discipline, they have investment, they have billionaires, many of them who invest not just in the democratic party, but then 20 or 30 other organizations. So when I'm in court litigating, 
It's against a handful of alphabet soup organizations, M NAACP, ACLU, Michigan Welfare Rights Organization, La Raza, La Familia Vota, and two dozen others. So, so that's the vision. And the RNC chair is only the chair of the RNC, but the RNC chair should also, I believe, be a leader in the party who is helping create that community of change that we need to win elections. We cannot do it alone within the party, much less outside the party. We have to have other organizations that help us succeed. So I think these are some of the um, things that it, it requires strategy. I mean, you know, to be fair to Rana, she was thrust into this position with little preparation, quite frankly. She was the chair of Michigan, which yep. was at that point much more red than it is now. Her state is difficult to win at this point for Republicans at the yeah. statewide level. Uh, and, you know, she didn't have a background, in, you know, major fundraising that much or any of these issues, communication, certainly. But I would think after six years, you would have developed some of these things. Fundraising has gone well with the name of Donald Trump being used and how well it's going to go without the use of that name is a big question mark because we haven't seen it yet. Uh, that gravy train pretty much came to an end late last year when he announced his run for uh, election. And so now we have to treat his name and his use in, of, a, of the name and fundraising very, very differently. And so today um, it requires a leader of the party who's able to adapt and and be nimble and be creative and be strategic. And we haven't seen that from the party leadership in the last few years. No, we did kind of ride that wave in, in 2016 where there were some remarkable wins in the presidential election cycle and uh, also in the House and the Senate and, and kind of have remained stagnant, which you have talked in, in extent about changing things up. Harmeet, last thing, as you're heading down the home stretch here, what do you uh, plan on doing in regarding to continue to whip uh, the delegates? And then what do you need from, like, let's just say our listenership or all the listenerships out here? I don't think enough people I've, – I've seen you on TV probably two dozen times in the last seven days, and, and I don't see anybody asking, like, what – do you need it, like for as support, you know, moving forward as, as you're looking to uh, flip the chair here? Well, look, I mean, there are 168 voters. What I need is those 168 voters to vote for me. That's the main thing I need. And so people in states, if they don't have influence on those members, then there's not much they can do. If they have influence on those members or if they work for a governor and the governor knows those members and can make a phone call, it's those relationships that will move the next few votes that we need. And so going into the meeting next week, if we can get about, you know, 10 more commitments on our side, we're getting picking up, you know, votes every day. If we can get that commitment on our side, then we're, we're you know, pretty much even with her. And then it's a, you know, slugfest for the remaining votes. And right. that's how these small party elections usually get done. A lot of horse trading at the last minute. Um I haven't been promising people things to get their vote. And, you know, that's a disadvantage that I have. The chair typically can hand out, you know, six dozen different appointments and, and assignments. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm old fashioned. I don't give out stuff I don't have. And so, you know, that perhaps puts me at a disadvantage. And so that said, there are a lot of patriots out there who aren't in it for the title or the, the clout. They're in it for what's best for the party. And so I'm, I'm trying to persuade those members of the RNC that they need to vote for change. It's their fiduciary duty, actually, to vote for change. Exactly. That's an excellent point you make there. And you want to know what? Coming out of the midterm elections, we were cautiously optimistic about the House. I like the growing pains that the Republican House went through in regards to getting the speaker done in the 118th 
Congress's rules implemented and who's going to sit where. And I think we could definitely make a big dent into changing things in a positive direction if we can continue that momentum, which would mean you uh, take the RNC chair on the 27th here. Harmeet, for anybody that's not following you across social medias, we're going to live link it in the show description today. Where can they find you? On Twitter, at P-N-J-A-B-A-N, same handle on Instagram. And I have a campaign website at dillonforrnc.com. That's D-H-I-L-L-O-N-F-O-R-R-N-C.com. And, uh, you know, just uh, keep, uh, keep up the polite pressure if you have influence on members of your state party who vote for the RNC chair. That's three people, state chairman, committee man, committee woman. And keep in mind that many of them don't want to hear from members, so know who you're dealing with. If it's a friendly person who likes to deal with the grassroots, it's persuasive. If it's not, then I wouldn't bother because it may just be counterproductive. So thank you. That's a great point you make there. And uh, we wish you the best of health and luck down the stretch here. And we will be tracking and uh, supporting you as we have been since pretty much the beginning when you announced your candidacy. This is the founder of the Dillon Law Group. We're looking forward to her being the next RNC chair. Ms. Harmeet Dillon, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, joining us next on the show, he's an opinion editor at Newsweek. He hosts a podcast that bears his name, and we love when he does a little bit of his commentary on Steak for Breakfast. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us back on the show. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Oh, always a pleasure to host. How's everything going on your end? You know, busy but good. It's been, it's been a heck of a week, obviously. I'm sure we're going to get into the Biden classified document stuff. I've had a hard time kind of trying to focus on, on anything else. I think the story has real legs, but... You know what? I mean, on a personal note, things are great. Um, I, I, I'm recently engaged. I'm an engaged man now. That happened since the last time I spoke with you guys. So oh. big change in my personal life. And uh, things are just going well. Yeah, we saw the uh, updates you had on social media. Congratulations to you. Looking very promising, to say the least. You've done great for yourself. Nice. That's what I'm trying to say <laughs> here. And uh, we wish you all the best. But uh, someone who's needing a little bit of good wishing is Joe Biden right now because you know what I think the the, the biggest takeaway that I've taken from the the classified documents what do you think I'm just not that into Corvettes <laughs> true story that's so funny because I literally feel the exact same way I'm just like um, I see that car and I'm like mm, yeah it doesn't really do anything for me but what if you put classified documents in the truck oh fuck yeah let's mm-hmm. do it okay there we go <laughs> um so, Josh, you've provided a lot of commentary uh, elsewhere on this so far, but let's deep dive into this. There is a uh, very big difference between what happened and is going on with uh, Donald Trump and the Joe Biden kind of document debacle that he stepped in right now. And from the angles it's coming from, uh, could be from a different direction as well. What do, what do you think? When this story first broke, it, it's changed a lot of the narrative between now and then because it's it's continuing yeah. to snowball. So how are you looking at this? Yeah, so when the story first broke, I, would, I didn't really know what to make of it. I mean, I wasn't necessarily kind of jumping out of my seat you know, arms flailing in the, in the air. You know, at, at that time, it was like maybe there were just a few documents in the office. But it's the way that this is all unfolded. It is this very slow plotting, methodical, drip, drip. Here's more documents. Here's the documents in a different location. And they were in this Chinese Communist Party funded money laundering, quote unquote, think tank called the Penn Biden Center. Oh, by the way, then they were in the locked garage with that Corvette that we've now seen so many times. And then, oh, by the way, they weren't just in the garage. They were actually upstairs, like in the bedroom or the kitchen or wherever the heck else they were. 
in Joe Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. I mean, at this point, honestly, who knows? Maybe we'll show up in some like Airbnb that he rented like a handful of years ago, <laughs> back when he was out of office between the vice presidency and the presidency. I'm laughing, but I really shouldn't be laughing. This is actually like quite, quite serious stuff. And, you know, you tease there kind of a point that I made in my column and in my in my own podcast that I've been hammering home over the past week or so, no pun intended, I guess, which is that the constitutional distinction between President Trump and his documents and former Vice President Biden, he's currently the president, but, you know, uh, his constitutional status at the time that these documents were taken is that a vice president, that distinction makes all all the importance in the world. It is a crucially, crucially important distinction here. And to kind of just go to Constitutional Law 101, so Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution vests the entirety of the quote-unquote executive power. The executive power shall be vested in the President of the United States. Not in the President of the United States and his Vice President, not in the President of the United States and his Vice President and his Cabinet officials, but in one person and one person only. What that means in layman's terms is that the President of the United States has plenary authority to make document classification classification decisions whenever he wants to, for whatever reason he wants to, period, full stop, end of story. The vice president simply does not have that power. Now, I saw a, a, a Snopes quote unquote fact check Ooh. that was talking about how Barack Obama had an executive order, I guess, 2009, purporting to allow the vice president and maybe even cabinet officials to do this sort of thing. And my response to that is that that executive order is flagrantly unconstitutional. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Barack Obama took an unconstitutional mm. measure. He, he happened to do a lot of those. So I think it's very, very bad for Joe Biden. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. But, you know, it's been interesting to me. One takeaway that I have just the past couple of days, really, it's been really interesting to see the White House press corps kind of like actually show some signs of life and actually kind of challenge Corinne Jean-Pierre. And she is stumbling badly up there. So it appears to be very bad for Joe Biden. And I guess we'll just see where it goes. Yeah, you know, I've been waiting for... Uh, My favorite was the montage of her saying that he takes uh, classified documents very seriously. She said it like, what, like 30-something times in three days? <laughs> Listen, this is this is historical, and uh, we follow the rule of law. I'm trying to go with some of her best one-liners. Oh. I've been waiting for Ron Klein to come out of the dugout and single for John Carby to relieve her in, in her press appearances lately because... She is in so far over her head. Uh, you, you can't spin with the narratives and, and the the pre-drawn questions that they usually, you know, softball at her when they're all hammering her on the same thing because she refuses to answer. And, uh, you know, she, she, she loves to speak on behalf of the president when democracy is on the ballot, when Republicans don't have solutions, and uh, when the last administration left a mess for anything that they want to fill in the blank for, but when it's actually something that's going on like this stuff with Joe Biden, uh, it's very interesting. The additional documents that they found throughout the House, I guess over the course of, of the week, brings up a lot of questions regarding Hunter Biden. I know there's some kind of monetary tie into that and everybody's, you know, kind of trying to dunk on it with the, that's part of the 10% for the big guy and this, that, and the other thing. But I, I think at the end of the day is 
I, I don't know if the administrative state has, has had it with Joe Biden and they're kind of like showing him after he's, I, I think behind closed doors, they probably told him they don't want him to run in 2024. And Joe Biden, even though he's been an empty suit for the entirety of his presidency and pretty much for his entire political career. Now he's putting his foot down and he says he wants to. Yeah. It's like, well, guess what? I'm in the driver's seat. And they're like, oh, are you? Oh, yeah. look what I found. It's a document. Oh, what's this over here? It's another one. We don't know how many we could find, but if you keep saying you're going to run for president, we could sure run up a tally here. What do you think on that narrative, Josh? I mean, that basically is my takeaway. I mean, my column last week was entitled, Is the Deep State Coming After Joe Biden? And I ended the title of that column with a question mark, but I'm here on air to tell you guys that I think the answer to that question is yes. And, and I, I guess the very straightforward way that I approach situations like this, you know, my good friend and one of my co-hosts on the NatCon Squad podcast, a guy named Ben Weingarten, Ben has always kind of made this point over the years. I think he's correct to do so in a situation like this. The relevant question to ask is uh, in Latin it would be qui bono, who benefits, who stands to benefit from an action like this? And the obvious answer is that Joe Biden stands to lose and prospective 2024 challengers stand to gain. Mm -hmm. Now, there obviously was a media cover up. That's one of the many facets of this still evolving story. Those Penn Biden Center documents were uncovered on November 2nd, six days before the election. So, you know, uh, the law enforcement apparatus, the DOJ, the FBI, they, they and the mainstream media alike seem to be complicit in this cover up. But but then the question is, why now? I, I mean, why specifically right now in January, as Joe Biden is trying to kind of gear up towards 2024, there's a new Congress that has been sworn in. They're clearly just trying to kneecap them, right? I mean, that is kind of, I think, the, the clear takeaway there. So, you know, I don't know exactly who's been chatting. I obviously can only speculate as to who in the DNC, who in DOJ and the FBI maybe have had some clandestine sort of emails or encrypted signal chats or whatever there. But my read on the situation is that if you look at the timeline of Joe Biden, so he really hit rock bottom last summer. Inflation's eight and a half, nine percent. He's got approval ratings. One one Quinnipiac poll has him as low as like 31 percent or something like that. Mm. Around that time, I personally thought no chance in hell is this guy going to run for reelection in 2024. Then the midterms happen and the red wave that I and so many others thought was going to happen obviously did not happen. And at that at that moment in time, Joe Biden starting to look pretty good for 24. Yep. So if I had to guess, I would guess that there are some people there deep in the bowels of the federal law enforcement apparatus who yeah. see that Joe Biden is probably getting ready to announce his 2024 candidacy over the next month, month and a half or so, and have basically decided no, like this guy cannot actually run because he's still senile, he still has no, you know, he still has no clue, and he's probably going to lose to the Republican nominee. So it, it, that is my best guess as to what is going on here. But um, it really is just a guess, honestly. No, and, and it's one that a lot of people are taking right now. I kind of lean the same way. I, I wrote a Substack recently that kind of, you know, it was like a broad stroke of everything, but kind of got into uh, specifics. When, when you talk about a tale of two special counsels here now, we all know the Jack Smith appointed one by Merrick Garland earlier in the year. The guy is definitely a never-Trumper, to say the least. Uh, him and the special counsel that was appointed Joe Biden, led by Robert Hur, both uh, kind of are intertwined in the Mueller investigation, the Russiagate scandal, and uh, making everybody's life on all ends at the behest of the administrative state very difficult. So... Do you think we're looking with these two special counsels here and an eventual outcome that shows like, okay, Joe Biden, this you're going to get a lovely severance package. 
congratulations, you were the president. Nobody ever thought you could do it, literally. And, and you, you didn't. Know, We'll give Jill Biden her book. We'll give her the Netflix documentary and all this other stuff. And then we'll kind of just like roll it down the hill. Where on the other side, I definitely see the Donald Trump special counsel really going towards the path of obstruction there, which would lead to an indictment. Um, even though you so nicely laid out the unconstitutional and felonious ways that Joe Biden is in the wrong here and Donald Trump it could be debated, literally has to think that something is declassified, and it is, might be able to nail Donald Trump and let Joe Biden off the hook. Do you, can you see that happening with two special counsels here? So here's my best guess as, as to the way that the special counsel investigations wrap up. So I do think that the fact that uh, Merrick Garland saw the need properly to assign a special counsel to investigate this still unfolding uh, scandal with pertaining to Joe Biden's own uh, retention of classified documents. I, I think that the mere fact that Merrick Garland felt the need to do so does kneecap and probably just preclude. I would say probably just outright precludes the possibility that Trump will ultimately be indicted specifically over the Mar-a-Lago raid and the documents and, you know, the back and forth where the timelines have been disputed about, you know, what the National Archives wanted, what Trump wanted and so forth there. So I do think that Trump is probably now off the hook for that, for the very simple and obvious reason that I think most of the American people, or at least everyone who's not a rabbit frothing at the mouth, MSNBC watching New York Times op-ed page reading Democrat, Ooh. would be up in arms yeah. if two special counsels arrived at the conclusions that one of these is an indictable offense and the other is not, especially given what I just explained to you guys about kind of this massive constitutional distinction that paints Trump in a better light than it paints Biden. The other thing to bear in mind here is that her longstanding Department of Justice policy, there's actually an old uh, OLC Office of Legal Counsel memo, I believe stemming from the second Clinton administration term. It's, it's, it's around the late 1990s, early 2000s. There's an old OLC memo where DOJ concluded, and they still stand by this legal conclusion, that as a constitutional matter, a sitting president cannot be indicted. So what that means is that Joe Biden actually cannot possibly be indicted, which kind of raises the question as to what is the purpose of this special counsel. And, you know, we'll see what conclusions he draws there. But it's kind of more of a political act than a legal act, if that makes sense. But all that's to say that there is no way that Biden can presently be indicted for that. And I just think the uproar would be outrageous, utterly outrageous, if Trump were indicted and Biden were not. Having said that, I do think that Trump is probably going to be indicted, if I had to guess, over the January 6th committee stuff. Um, I, I would just be shocked at this point if they did not fabricate some frivolous way to indict him over that, especially given the report that that you know, that that, that kangaroo court ultimately kind of delivered to, to Merrick Garland. So I think that Trump, if I had to guess, probably will be uh, frivolously and erroneously indicted over January 6th. But I think he's probably off the hook, at least as it pertains to the Mar-a-Lago classified document stuff. Yeah, those are some excellent points you make. I mean, we, we can talk about this whole document gate, whether it's in Florida or Delaware. And, and then when you throw the X factor in of the January 6th stuff, that's kind of gone so far under the radar. I, I wouldn't disagree with you the fact that at some point soon Merrick Garland is just going to announce that he's going to have a press conference at some point and, and they're going to talk about, uh, you know, rulings regarding that. So we're going to have to just keep an eye on it. I, I definitely don't think we're, we're at the end of, of Joe Biden's problems. But like you said, due to the fact that there's 
so much constitutional boundness to protected Donald Trump and, and the fact that Joe Biden's the sitting president currently uh, might make it a null, but it's going to regardless drag them both through the mud a little bit. Joe Biden, I think on his end, because I think the administrative state is pretty much done with him. They've, they've used him pretty much for what he's been worth. I still think they're going to try to jam a, a, a mega, mega immigration package down our throats over the course of the next two years, but that's neither here nor there. And then in Donald Trump's case, anything to stop him from running in 2024, which is where I want to segue to next. The political landscape still isn't really taking shape. I mean, Donald Trump's kind of in the ring. Uh, I, I think the only other person who's officially announced is John Bolton. But there has been a lot of ebb and flow on Twitter recently regarding Ron DeSantis and, and Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup. I mean, we know a lot of this stuff is manufactured. Some of it's for the shock value. Some of it's to keep both of their names, uh, you know, at the forefront of the news in regards to conservative politics, etc., how do you see this thing shaping up right now? It seems like Governor DeSantis is pretty focused on, you know, keeping Florida great after his massive win in the midterm elections. And then Donald Trump is looking like, I mean, there was announcements today that he's getting ready to come back to some of the standard social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook, uh, getting ready for a full rollout of his 2024 campaign. Well, first of all, thank you for reminding me that John Bolton has declared <laughs> that he is running because I genuinely had forgotten that. Um, that's actually Quite funny. Yes. Um. To, to to be totally honest with you, I'll be curious to see whether he is able to surpass zero point five percent of the primary voters' support. Um. Look, when it comes to Governor DeSantis, I mean, it, it seems to me, um, based on everything that I observe, that I see him doing, that I see his team tweeting out press releases, all of that, they're just focused right now on the current legislative session. So, I mean, our our, our legislative session in Florida just started over the, over the past few weeks, past month or so. He has a pretty ambitious agenda. He definitely wants to get constitutional carry passed. Um, as a gun owner and a concealed carry holder myself, I very much look forward to that and hope that that passes because I am a Floridian. Um, you know, he has expressed interest in, in passing a, a tighter right to life uh, abortion bill, any number of other priorities, probably crack down further on some critical race theory, kind of um, corporate wokeism adjacent style legislation, things of that nature, and probably more big tech restrictions, things like that. So I think right now he's really just laser focused on being the governor of Florida. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was not there in person in Tallahassee for his inauguration because I was finishing my um, little Middle East swing. I was actually visiting the pyramids in Egypt on the day of the inauguration. But from what I saw on that day, my friends who were there told me, you know, his speech was was just about Florida. I mean, it really was not taking any kind of jabs or anything like that. So, you know, look, if you look at the prospective 2024 polling right now, and it purely is just prospective because DeSantis obviously has not announced anything when it comes to 2024 yet. You know, the polling does show currently a two man race. Um, I, I don't see personally that changing anytime soon. It seems to me that that if DeSantis does run, then then Trump and DeSantis will be clearly like the two front runners. But anything could happen. I mean, you just don't know. I I, I mean, uh, I don't think that Trump or DeSantis will have like a Scott Walker or a Jeb Bush type collapse. I, I just don't see that happening. No. I think they're very different for important structural reasons. But, you know, it is very, very early there. Um, also, I, I didn't I didn't actually know that Trump was planning to get back on Twitter. I, th I think that's a very good move for Trump. I yeah. think that's a shrewd move by him. I think that his base, uh, his core supporters have really missed out on his Twitter presence. Um, so I think that's very smart for him to get back on Twitter, frankly. Yeah, I was able to confirm that this morning. I saw a lot of people saying sources close to the president. Uh news out of Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump might looking to get reinstated. So then I just texted somebody that's in the inner circle and I was like, Yeah, your nay. And they're like, Yay. 
So I was like, all right, confirmed. <laughs> so we could even say sources close to the president. So good stuff. But no, I, I definitely agree. And uh, a huge part of me doesn't want to see it happen like a massive, bloody public primary. But the other part of me is like, after watching what went down in the House of Representatives, I think we almost need it uh, for whoever's going to be the Republican nominee. It's for sword sharpening purposes. And then as, as far as like growth goes in the party, I think everybody got really lazy after 2016. We kind of rode that big wave of laziness in the 2020 general election campaign. And uh, we can't take that for granted because regardless of if it's Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump as a Republican nominee, neither one of them have an easy path to 270. And, right. uh, you know, I, I feel like Ron DeSantis is going to struggle a little bit in the Rust Belt. So where's he going to make that up? And then Donald Trump, if you can't recreate breaking the blue wall like you did in 2016, which I don't see happening with, with developments that have happened in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania over the course of the last, you know, four or five years, then, then where are we making it up? So I just wanted to, uh, you know, glad you elaborated on that because I think, uh, as we continue to have you on, Josh is, is how we're going to continue to preview this. And once we get into it, we could, we could actually have a pretty lively debate because we, we all know that you, like Donald Trump, but at the same time, uh, are a big supporter of Ron DeSantis too, and, and and I like that open discussion and fluid debate that we have when you uh, come on the show with us, which is what I want to be able to direct our listenership to find you across social medias and your podcast. We'll live link them in the show description today. But where are you at? Yeah, so Twitter just Josh underscore Hammer. You can find my podcast, the Josh Hammer Show, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, my syndicated column goes out to uh, you know, Newsweek, American Greatness, Town Hall, Epic Times, a bunch of the right of center publications. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to be with you guys. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've said this many times before, but, um, you know, I was a vociferous supporter of President Trump in the 2020 election. Yep. I, I wrote a column for The New York Post, actually, I think it was a week and a half, two weeks before the 2020 election, where I called Donald Trump the quote unquote most pro-Jewish president of all time. And like Trump retweeted that column. It got like thousands and thousands of likes. So, you know, I mean, my support for the president in 2020, I, you know, you could just look at, at the receipts, so to speak. Um, and this is going to be fun. I mean, you know, uh, if and when it happens, obviously no one else has announced besides Trump and I guess John Bolton, which I had literally forgotten. But, you know, as this probably plays out along the lines that I think you and I both think it will, it's definitely going to be uh, a very fun time. No, it certainly will. And we'll have a fun debate on Steak for Breakfast about it probably more than once. This is the host of the Josh Hammer Show, one of our great friends. Always love it when he joins us, Mr. Josh Hammer. Thanks for coming on today. Anytime, guys. Take care. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Answers that question. If you're still wondering where there is an organized effort within the White House to hurt Joe Biden, all you need to know is this. His staff keeps putting him out there in public to talk, which, of course, he can't do. He can barely read a prepared statement. <laughs> Notice they did not do that during the last presidential campaign in 2020 because they knew it wouldn't help and they wanted the White House. And it helps even less now. But they're doing it. Why are they doing that now? Well, here's a guess. 
Right after the midterm elections in November, Joe Biden made it clear he had no plans to step aside and make way for Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama. Mm. I'm thinking of running again, he said, and he seemed to mean it. Oh, he shouldn't have said that. Next thing you know, he's got a special counsel crawling around his life, armed with subpoena power and a big staff and a big budget. Well, that's how things work in Washington, they'll tell you. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. Not unless you have no choice. If you're the president of the United States, a special counsel is the last thing you want. Why? Because you have no idea where that investigation will go. Ask Bill Clinton. He's still mad about it. And that's why there was no special counsel appointed when Hunter Biden's laptop proved that the Biden family was selling influence to the Chinese government. That's why no special counsel ever interviewed Tony Bobulinski, because that was all before Joe Biden suggested he might run again and thwart the ambitions of the next generation of Democratic candidates. So Joe Biden is in very serious trouble tonight. But so potentially is the University of Pennsylvania, which paid Joe Biden $900,000 for doing essentially nothing. Why would Penn do that? Well, we can't say for sure, but we did notice that as soon as the university paid off Joe Biden, Penn began collecting tens of millions of dollars a year from donors in China. What was that? Maybe the special counsel will get to the bottom of it. We sure hope so. Meanwhile, everyone in Washington is pretending all this is normal. <laughs> they know it's not normal, but they're too afraid to say otherwise. And that's the fact of the matter there is that... Mm -hmm. We we have gone so far outside of the realms of normalcy, you know, as we as we touched on with Josh Hammer in our last segment uh, regarding this Biden document thing. It, it, it seems like the fix is in to Nick's Joe Biden running for president again. You think so, Antoinette? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I never saw him making it to 2024 and running again. But, I mean, it's it's so obvious. Well, you mean people aren't uh, making Biden 2024 flags and stickers and having rallies <laughs> and driving around with six-mile-long caravans mm -hmm. supporting him? Yep. No? Mm -mm. Was that him? Was it? 81 million votes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, 81. All 81 million. No debate there. Nope. It was funny when Liz said last week, <laughs> I hope he runs again so they can try to convince everybody that he got 100 million votes this time. Oh, no, because that's what they'd have to do. Yeah. Because funny. so many more people would flip to our side right. that they would have to just make it ridiculous. Like, there's not enough fucking ballot harvesting in the world to fix that shit. No. They'd have to start collecting now. They probably are. Highly probable. <laughs> <laughs> Tucker wasn't done. He he not only loves taking pot shots at Joe Biden, but his dirtbag son Hunter, mm. and was talking about this now close to fifty thousand dollar monthly rent mortgage payment, ten percent for the. Like, big do you guy. think maybe you know devil's advocate? Do you think maybe he just put the the period in the wrong place, mm -hmm. <laughs> or the what is it called? The decimal. Decimal. Yeah. Look, it is signed oh in in crayon. Right? That's for sure. Let's hear Tucky. Uh, Hammer the smartest man Joe Biden knows. On the form, Hunter Biden claims he's paying nearly 50000 a month in housing costs. 50000 a month. The math works. Where'd that money come from? You wouldn't crazy? think Hunter Biden would be able to earn that kind of money. Now, at the time, this was pre-laptop, but Hunter Biden had already been thrown out of the U.S. Navy for cocaine use. Yep. He'd already abandoned a rental car with a crack pipe inside, <laughs> along with his ID. He had already left his wife for his sister-in-law. This was before or after he threw the now, gun in the dumpster. Now, all this was public information. Right around the same time. So how did a disgraced drug addict with no job skills make enough money 
to make a $50,000 a month payment. Who is paying him? How much were they paying him? And why were they paying him? And by the way, why do classified documents keep appearing in homes that Hunter Biden lived in? Those seem like fair questions. We have a right to ask them. Joe Biden doesn't feel like answering them. And to this point, he hasn't. I think uh, we, we do know, you, you look through the Clinton presidency and then up through the Obama one, pay for play was always on the table. And uh, like I said, when you start to think about the countries who were involved in these classified documents that have been found, the UK, Ukraine, and Iran, there is a lot of people who are starting to think that Joe Biden was giving moderators, negotiators, and people who would have influence over things like a new Iran deal or stuff that had to do with the Spygate investigation. And then, according to Ukraine, you know, I mean, remember, Hunter Biden sat on the, he was the head of an energy firm there. He sat on the board. Like, what What do you think he, do you think he just showed up to meetings and just, like, he's, like, with, like, a entourage of hookers with him? I think there's a solid chance that they were showing people outside of these entities classified information well, that's a give. That's a gimme at this point. In regards for kickbacks and bonuses. Hey, uh, do you want to take a ride in the Corvette? There's some stuff in the trunk. I'm gonna want to take a look at. Did you bring your microfilm? Microfiche. Microfiche. So I don't know if you guys had heard. Joe Biden absolutely killed Martin Luther King. What day? Oh. He spoke an event. Oof. He he sang happy birthday to Martin Luther King's widow and forgot her name. No, was it, his, it, it? I don't think it was his widow. It was somebody else. Was her last name King? Yes. Then you should probably be able to figure that one out. <laughs> just saying. King. Like you know, if you even don't don't know a relation, just that, King. That's literally the way it was. I think it was somebody that was in attendance. I think it was his granddaughter or somebody like niece or somebody like that that was alive that was there. It was ugly. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. And so was he. <laughs> he said Valerie was about to say Valerie. They all laughed. They were all laughing at him. I saw like a still shot of people. So, so um, there was a couple bangers though. Remember, they on were a, laughing with him. Okay, on CNN a, told me on a day we're supposed to be unifying, mm. as usually is observed on on days like Martin Luther King Day. Uh, Joe Biden was talking racial division, a la Barack Obama. Let's hear it. Besides de-escalation, we have to retrain cops. As to why should you always shoot for de with deadly force? Oh. The fact is, if you need to use your weapon, you don't have to do that. And look, Wait. to call a fresh approach to if recruit, you need to use your we weapon, recruit, you don't how have we hire, to. how we train, how we promote, and how we retain, retain law enforcement. Well, remember, the only way to move up in law enforcement, I believe it's the three Fs, friends, family, and fucking so there, there you go with that this is, is this the team building yeah it certainly is hey look that girl in tennessee <laughs> her husband is sticking by her well her husband's like uh he they're in an open relationship well, so you know, he does you take, all his you, weird shit too take adversity on the chin if she yeah, had one i mean i don't know why in the, why it's even making national news because the memes are funny the memes are hilarious she literally looks like morty yeah <laughs> So he wasn't done. Remember, day of togetherness, of wholesome racial undivision, disregard. We need to hammer down on uh, one of Joe Biden's favorites. 
MAGA Republicans. Oh, I thought you were going to say that uh, we're going to un- unveil you know, the statue. We're going to talk about big spending Democrats again. Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year $350 billion. And this year, federal deficit is down $1 trillion plus. You just passed a $2 trillion really? omnibus That's a bill. fact. Is it a fact? And there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade. For this so what? These guys are the fiscally, you know, they're fiscally demented, I think. Fiscally they delicious? They don't quite. He calls him fiscally demented. <laughs> be honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> so let's see. We got uh, racial division. We'll, we'll bring in the cops, and then we'll hit MAGA Republicans. They have no plan. And then there's only one cherry on the top of this. Chucky Chucky Chip Ice Cream Sunday Insurrection. Oh, perfect. Absolutely. It really ties the room together. Just like gun control, and he was hitting both of them. Let's hear it. And ban the number of bullets and go in a magazine. Huh. There's no, no need for any of that. I really? love my right-wing friends who talk about the tree of liberty is water of the blood of patriots. Fact check true. Yeah. Give me a, if you need to work about taking on the federal government, you need some F-15s. Oh, this is an old clip. You don't need this an AR-15. He said it again? I'm serious. Think about it. Think about it, Jack. It was Monday. No, he said that forever ago. He said it again? He did say it forever ago, but I he mean. He said it again. You can see the backdrop is the Martin Luther King spectacular. Wow. He's just really going back into the old cue cards, huh? Ugly. Ugly. Like Not, that, people made fun of him for that, like, as being in poor taste when he said it the first time. You're right. And uh, while they gave him a pass on MLK Day, he gave nobody a pass. Mm. And, and it's just been an absolute embarrassment. He uh, ass. parlayed that event into last year's NBA champs, the Golden State Warriors, made their trip to the White House. And when they took their team picture, I guess... In the press room, Joe Biden decided to take a knee in front of the basketball team for the team picture. Nobody else did. I don't know if he just got confused, turned around. There was like 50 10-foot-tall black dudes, and he's like, oh, I guess we're doing the Black Lives Matter thing and took a knee. <laughs> Kamala Harris was standing next to him. She started cackling and said, I'm not doing that. Really? And then like looked around awkwardly. The camera's like, what? She said, I'm not doing that? Yeah. Is there a video of this? Yeah, you just look it up. Joe Biden takes a knee with the Golden State Warriors. And she goes, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yes. That's literally the way it went down. Basically. She's like, I spent enough time on my knees. I'm not going to do I it know. here. Getting flashbacks and heat flashes. Bit. So you, Kamala, why are you doing the shake weight motions? Oh. You could only imagine the difficulties that uh, <laughs> KJP has been having in the White House press pool. Oof. Uh, it gets pretty bad when, like, PBS, NPR, and CBS are like, you have to literally answer one question over the course of the entire meeting that we're having right now. Like, you have to answer one question. Whoever's doing her makeup, too, needs to really rethink, like, the light colors on her fucking eyelids. Because How it just makes... dare you? No! Like, her freaking... Her, her eyes, like, flip back and forth. Like, she's gonna they're going to roll back into her head. She's blinking so fast. It's like... Frosty, yeah, yeah, it's like, what are you sending an SOS signal to me right now? Or like, are you in distress now? CNN's gonna be all over your ass. Oh, fucking fantastic. Remember, her, her, whatever is a CNN executive, her, whatever, yeah, her, whatever partner. I identify as a whatever partner. There was 
a lot of back and forth between KJP and the press today. I'm bringing you a lot of back and forth, but no answers or substance to the back and forth on her end anyway. What do you want? Back and forth argument or Peter Ducey offering solutions? I'll give you one of the two. Let's do solutions. Coming in hot right now. This is like happening in real time. Since so many of our questions have been referred to the DOJ and to the White House Counsel's Office, I'm sure you can understand that we're in sort of information (laughs) blackout where DOJ refers us to the special counsel. They're not holding any briefings. White House Counsel refers us to DOJ. So if you are not able to talk about this from the podium, would you invite a DOJ official to take our questions here? Uh, to the briefing. No, you would have to go to the Department of Justice. That is not, it, this is a, a legal matter that is currently happening at the Department of Justice. And the president has been very, very clear when it comes to these types of legal matters, when it comes to investigations, he's not going to interfere. Uh, he wants to make sure that we give back the independence that the Department of Justice should have when it comes to these types of uh, investigations. So certainly would not be bringing them here. Uh, so I would refer you to the Department of Justice. I, I just, I, I was just very very clear. If you have any questions, I would refer you to the White House Counsel's Office. They did a call for 45 minutes yesterday, speaking to many of you. I believe there were more than 200 people on that call. And so I would refer you to my colleagues at the White House Counsel's Office. Okay, you know what? That wasn't as good. As, we, we need one. Wait, wait, hold on. He doesn't get involved. He wants to be very transparent. No, no. He doesn't get involved and interfere with legal matters. This is historic. Kind of like when he... Oh, I don't know. Got a prosecutor fired in Ukraine. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." <laughs> they said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Huh. We follow the rule of law. Yeah. Are very transparent. Mm-hmm. This is historic. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. That sounds sketchy. All I want to know is some answers about classified documents. Round two, go. Thank you, Karine. Yeah. I want to uh, reference an interview that President Biden did in mid-September with 60 Minutes. And in that interview, he chided former President Trump for having in his possession classified documents. He called it irresponsible. Oof. First of all, do you think it was proper for President Biden to comment on an ongoing DOJ investigation. Ooh, got him. So I'm going to say this, uh, and I'm going to keep it really short today, oh, okay. as it relates to this particular issue, as it relates to an ongoing it's the only uh, issue. legal matter. Oh. I'm going to refer you to Department of Justice. Oh, Department of Justice see that one coming. With the, that specific, say as it words. relates to uh, anything that you want to ask of us uh, about uh, this uh, this legal matter. And the I lack of answers that House I will give you? Uh, office. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Not going to go I'm into gonna, further. I'm simply asking you to comment. I, and I just... I just commented. I just commented. We're moving on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I already answered your question. Go ahead. Well, I I did. Well, it's your it's your opinion. It's your opinion. 
<laughs> it's your opinion. That is your opinion. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I have two domestic questions. Wow. Sounds like she's went to the uh, jo- all, whoa, the Joy Reed school of uh, answering questions, huh? So yeah. you support it. So you so, support so it. Basically, so, so you did. He so you supports did. it. Next supports topic. It. Doesn't sound like they're being too transparency. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I got nothing. Highly damning. Jim Jordan jumped on Fox News yesterday and was talking about the lack of consistency when it comes to what happened with President Trump. You know, there's so many things. You you guys do realize, if you're listening, I'm sure the rest of the pod team understands. So the Department of Justice put out a statement this week that the FBI was considering shadowing Biden officials, Biden lawyers in their search for more documents. Shadow like a like a like a reality TV show? <laughs> and then just decided not to because they were being so cooperative in producing now four different rungs of classified documents that have been found in Biden properties or offices across the country. And it just leaves it wide open to what the hell is going on here? Like document one for someone who's never been president, therefore doesn't have the authority to have these in this personal residence or place of business should have been raids galore. And uh, we're, we're just not seeing that. Let's hear the Ohio Congressman weigh in on it. This is about the, the, the double standard that I think is so evident to the American people. There were one set of rules for Secretary Clinton, one set of rules for Joe Biden, a different set for President Trump. And anyone with common sense can see that as well. So uh, we just I, I point to this. I still remember when I questioned Secretary Clinton in the Benghazi hearings about her 60 some thousand emails. I asked her a very simple question. Uh, Madam Secretary, why don't we we don't want to see the personal emails. This is America. You have privacy rights. We get right. that. But we, we don't exactly trust you and your lawyers to turn over to the committee what the American people are entitled to see. How about this idea? We let a neutral third party, like a retired federal judge, examine those emails, and then they'll decide. No, 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 she couldn't do that. Her and her lawyers had to decide. And of course, we know she destroyed 30,000 uh, of those 60-some thousand emails. Why did they get to operate that way versus how President Trump was treated? So we just want, we just want the equal application of the law, for goodness sake. And frankly, we'd also like some transparency. We were just talking about this in the debt ceiling debate. But remember what happened here. In November, they find classified documents at the Biden Center. In December, they find him in, the, in his uh, home at his, in the garage. We learn about it January 9th, but we only learn, the White House only tells us about the ones at the Biden Center. Why didn't they tell us about the ones at his garage when they knew it at the time? So just be transparent with the American people and treat really everyone bad. the same. Really bad. That's all we're asking for in this situation. You know, we can't even touch on the debt ceiling today because Oof. the show's so packed. You know, we, we hit the we hit the ceiling tomorrow. Tomorrow's judgment day. Tomorrow? They, they, yeah, they can do a couple of things. They can raise it, they can default on it, or they can like I saw this one thing, they could um just change the font on some coins, platinum coins that they print, and uh they can go up to like a, a million dollars in value. What instead of being a hundred dollars in value. Wait, what? Yeah. On a coin? Like, on a coin. Hmm. And, and then... It's like a different minting or something? Yeah, it's a different minting. It, it, there's some clause. I, I started reading it, but then with all the Davos shit and then this Biden document stuff, I was like, you want to know what? I want to see what happens with this whole debt ceiling debate. There's going to be a showdown tomorrow. Well, yeah. What kind of what kind of weird things going to happen in the news to distract us from it? Though? That's right. the thing. Like, what's happening tonight? Because 
we are going to have an immediate, at least partial, government shutdown if we do not reach a agreement on either raising the debt ceiling or finding a a comprehensive solution to fixing our fucked up financial system that we're in right now. So maybe I'm just not super familiar with the ins and outs of the debt ceiling. Okay. But I, I mean, when you say something like debt ceiling, I would think that this is the level that we cannot allow our debt to get higher than. It would be 100%. Yeah. So Jan- Janet Yellen has suggested that we could operate completely fine at like 125-ish. <laughs> yeah. I just Did mentioned something about like we can last till like early June or something like that. We can negotiate till early June. I forgot. They they could do like a debt ceiling version of the CRs, but that doesn't offer a solution. And it's the opposite of what Republicans campaigned. How on. about if we just stop spending money? Printing money, lower uh, the interest rates. I mean, I, okay, I mean, we literally did an entire cold open on why all of our money <laughs> needs to go to combating climate change, and here you are saying we should just stop. Wait, who's going to fund the war in Ukraine? <sighs> this is organic. I'm just going to so, go. <laughs> so here's this is the climate change thing. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what other countries do because the main gross polluters are the problem. Yeah. You can have, you can have, so to take Southern California as an example, mm-hmm. you can have the most expensive beach house on the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. But when your neighbors to the south are dumping raw sewage into the ocean mm-hmm. and the tides change, everybody gets red tide. And the currents. Mm-hmm. It's exactly how all this shit works. It doesn't matter that you're out there every goddamn day picking up seashells and fucking trash and doing a fucking zen garden on on your front beach. Because you have a dead humpback whale in your backyard now. Yeah, it's, it's idiotic. Mm-hmm. It does not matter what we do. We could stop. We could stop our emissions and everything. We could be net zero tomorrow mm-hmm. and nothing would change because guess what? All of our production is getting sent overseas. It doesn't matter. Well, it's yeah, like, oh, we're not going to do this anymore because it's so bad for the environment. We're just going <laughs> to sh- have everybody over there do it for us, and then we'll ship it back, which is actually twice as bad because they do it less clean, and then right. you got to pay to ship the shit. Hurry, kids, dig those lithium batteries. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen those videos? Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Antoinette? Obviously, you know, common sense, do the right thing. You know, don't, like, Sure, don't litter. Don't burn tires in your backyard. Right. Don't don't Nothing is ever going to change when China and India are going to you know, they're going to carry on doing what they're doing. They're very poor countries, yep. poor people. They don't give a shit about the climate. They care about surviving, um eating, you know, it, it just it's not going to do anything. It's not going to change anything. Oh. I mean, we're one of the greenest countries, aren't we, in the world? Yes, like, and and we we've, we've reduced that all the bad stuff that they propriet everybody else. Yeah, we've actually done huge amounts. And what and the only thing it's done is just fuck up our economy. Yep, fuck up our yeah, economy. What else do they fucking want from us? I want <laughs> nuclear energy. I want coal burned. I want to dig for oil. And I want everything to be cheap. And now that everything is shitting the bed so bad, they're stopping the decommission of nuclear power plants in California. Yep. Because, hey, guess what, idiots? The other shit's not fucking working. San Onofre is going to live on... For 10 more years. 
fucking fantastic. I love it. Everybody knows what the chichis are. But listen, we're, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves because the one thing we can't do in all of this, and, and we've heard some weird narratives today, everything from like straight up lies, the usual from KJP to all the different ways they want to pin our eyes open and, and make us watch 1984 happen in Davos. We cannot. I thought you were making a Clockwork Orange reference. We can't just rush to judgment. We need to reserve it. Reserve it? Yes. And let the process play out. Obviously. Like table for two? Mistakes were made. <laughs> Doors weren't locked. Oh. Things weren't put back where they belong. But that's neither here nor there. We need to just have a reasonable solution, and no one is going to provide it better than Watermelon Head. The White House knew about this on November 2nd, so that was almost a full week before the midterm elections. We didn't learn about it. The public wasn't informed until this week, and it was only after uh, the story was, uh, you know, was out there. Reporters were asking questions. Should they have been more forthcoming? Should this information have been revealed earlier? Nah. Uh, I think the administration will need to answer that question. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until they do. But I think it's important to point out uh, that the Biden uh, approach was very different in the sense that um, it looks, uh, as far as we can tell, that it was inadvertent that these documents uh, were in these locations. The- oh, so it's okay because it was inadvertent. Yeah, I didn't mean it. You know, he didn't mean it. So it's all right. <laughs> in, in the firewood storage bin in Joe Biden's garage, there was inadvertently placed classified documents. In the firewood bin? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a real thing? I didn't show his face on TV. snap-on toolbox? Yeah. On wheels? I mean, a snap-on toolbox would be a step up from a cardboard box next to your piece-of-shit car. Which is sitting next to your piece-of-shit son? Passed out next to. <sighs> Doesn't matter what we say. Someone's just going to insert the hunter in his underwear, sunglasses, and yeah, that scarf, scarf meme to it. So <laughs> it's almost impossible to avoid that. It's like... He posed with the Washington or, or with the uh, Golden State Warriors yesterday at the White House. And it, it, like within five seconds, they were putting the memes up. <laughs> Hunter was in all these different spots, at, at, like in the team picture. And I'm just like, man, they just never going to let him live it down. But the, uh, you know, I was getting ready to wrap here in our last audio clip of the day. And it's been a long one. Uh, well, we kind of ended the show with him last time as well. Uh, Missouri Senator. Josh Hawley was talking about obviously what we've uncovered throughout the entirety of breaking down this narrative regarding Joe Biden and his team's mishandling of classified documents and information. All they really honestly do is know how to lie and they're very good at it. Um, Let's hear him break it down. Yeah, they're hugely significant because real oversight is what this administration hasn't gotten, is what Congress has not done, and certainly the Democrats in the Senate aren't going to lift a finger to do anything. So we've got to get the truth, Sean. This administration has lied to the American people about Afghanistan. They have lied about the IRS. They've lied now about Joe Biden and the classified documents. They've lied about what's going on at the border. They've lied, they've lied, they've lied. And it's time to get the truth and to give it to the American people. The people deserve the truth. They deserve to to know what's actually happening in their government, not these constant lies, which is what this administration lives by. Even if they're historic? Mm. <laughs> and historic? And follow the rule of law? Transparent? Don't have the data? I'm going to have to refer you to the DOJ. Mm. That's the new one. Yeah. We did a conference call. You weren't allowed to ask questions, but they talked. Mm-hmm. It was with the DOJ. It was two hours. You were on mute? A lot of your coworkers were there. Over 200 were listening. 
We Men- provided no information. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're hammering my ass today. So, listen, there's a lot of shit jobs out here, but uh, White House Press Sec is not one that for any amount well, of they're money obviously, I would like to sign up for now. They've obviously been promised complete and utter immunity from anything. It just like Saki got away without oh, you know, being subpoenaed or whatever the fuck happened recently. The book deals alone for, yeah. for, for KJP. I mean, she, she hits like... When you when you have your virtue single bingo card, woof, mm. she's bingo every time. Get the free space too. Sure do. Just ask her partner. But uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is there are other things going on outside of this. Like we talked about, the, the debt ceiling is one of them, and the incoming oversight uh, regarding you know a lot of the things that have happened throughout the course of the last couple of years one of the ones that we are always interested in getting to the bottom of is what really happened and, and what were some of the key components that led to the whatever you'd like to call it i know noah says it pretty cool insurrection on january 6th and right now we are going to sit down with one of our great friends who's going to break down that narrative just a little bit more for us all right, joining us last on the show today, he's one of our great friends. Always love having him on, the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. I just want to make very clear to the audience that I, that I asked to be last, okay? <laughs> I don't think we've said last on the show in a while, but here we are, back end. And, uh, well, we're glad to have you. You've been pretty busy. If you're not putting out audio substacks, you're you're writing more. And, and just to jump right into it, I want to start off with this one that we, we were hoping to talk to you about last week and uh, need yeah. to get into. So you probably are the only person on earth besides the ones who wrote or stenographered the uh, Ray Epps testimony from the January 6th committee. I believe it was close to 100 pages worth of, I'm sure, titillating literature mm. uh, <laughs> that you were able to break down into uh, a substack. And you want to talk to our listenership about it because they need to know what these receipts provided. Yeah, you guys mind if I make a cup of tea while I talk to you? I just—I know you're big fans of all my background noise, so I wanted to give you as much as possible here. I'm good um, with it. I, don't, I, don't, I think Noah's going to be good with it. I'm sure he'll be good with it. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I, I in reality, I've found my niche, which is which is tea time, um, and and that's when I like to do my podcasts the most. Um, because you can do, you can sort of think more clearly while you're chopping bits of ginger. At least I can. Um, this is how I deal with everything, including the Ray Epps um, testimony. I don't know whether it's some weird thing that is happening in my brain lately, but the only way I can seem to seem to concentrate is if I'm doing two things at once. So um, I'm sort of like psycho- psychologists have a have a word for that. So I sat down with this thing just because. I, I kind of half expected other people to do it, and I suppose that's almost the worst thing about our side, in inverted commas, um, of recent years, is we're always expecting someone else to do it. And, I, and then it was Christmas, and then it was New Year, and I was traveling, and I let it slide because I had printed it all off because I, I don't like going through things on screens because I like to highlight like I'm a 15-year-old schoolgirl. Um, and... And I end up highlighting everything because I'm a 15-year-old schoolgirl. And um, you're, you're, by the way, the 15-year-old schoolgirls in your audience know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, so I didn't have the papers with me. And then I came back in January and sat at my desk and started looking at this thing again and thought to myself, oh, you know, Julie Kelly still hasn't done a thing on it and, and Darren Beatty still hasn't done a thing on it. Um, I, be- I suppose I better do something. And I'm glad I did because not only did this testimony give me a greater insight into, I think a lot of people have heard of Ray Epps and seen clips of Ray Epps and, and kind of know him as the, we're going to go in and storm the Capitol, right? But, but don't have any context surrounding you know, his trip. Where was he from? When did he plan that trip? Why was he there? Who was he there with? What did he say to the committee about his rationale for the trip? Like all of this stuff actually was really interesting. Um, and so I condensed it. You know, it was it was about 20, it was just shy of 26,000 words, the entire testimony, um, uh, which is which is basically half a book um, for those that don't know the, the word count stuff. And I condensed it into about 4,500 words of the, of the critical parts of the testimony. Now, that isn't to say that you can't learn a lot more by going through the whole testimony, but I think I'd give you, you know, the, the core things to take away. So, so those core things for me are, are pretty much, you know, wh- number one, why was he there and when did he plan to be there? And, and how, does the, how does the committee respond to his answers along those lines? I've never seen a congressional committee that is uh, supposed to be aggressive, right? We're talking about the worst attack in history, right? Like this is worse than, than anything uh, Genghis Khan ever did. This is worse than Pearl Harbor. It's it's 59-11s, you know, AOCs down the corridor getting gang raped, you know, according to her. And 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 yet this this committee is handling this man who's screaming on camera that ahead of this riot that they must go into the Capitol. He's screaming at people on camera. There's the capital. That's where we need to go. Go and go in there. And he's also admitting at certain points in the testimony, as I'll get to in a minute, about his, quote, orchestration of the day's events. But critically, what does the committee do? Do they ask him, you know, okay, so you plan to go there on January the... What? And he goes, oh, I don't know, maybe the first, maybe the fourth, my wife booked it. And their response is, oh, okay, what's the next question? Well, what do you mean, oh, okay, what's the next question? And that sets the tone for the whole damn thing. Every single time he's asked any question and he doesn't have a legitimate or detailed answer, they just go, oh, okay, next question. Um, I'll give you I'll give you another example of this. So anyway, he claims that he he decides to go to look after his son who's going to to uh, the Trump uh, rally at the ellipse at his wife's request. So he goes and goes with his son and sleeps on his son's bed in his son's hotel with his son's friend ending up sleeping on the floor as a result. And they go out. Uh, uh, you know, they, they do that. He claims it's going to be a quote unquote great family vacation. So they go out and they do some historical things, see the sites, see some things where the Epps family is originally from and blah, blah, blah. And then that evening of the fifth, they decide to all meet up 
with a random guy who's been calling Ray Epps' phone all day. And the guy's name is Paul Carver. And the committee says to Epps, why did you meet up with this guy? He goes, oh, I don't know. He just kept calling my phone. They go, well, well, did you know him? He goes, no, I didn't know him. And they go, oh, okay, let's move on. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) Some random guy is lighting your phone up. Listen, I don't know about you guys. Some dude's calling me all day long, demanding we meet. He, he repeatedly tells the committee that he doesn't know this guy, and yet they have dinner with this chap in the evening. But then right after dinner, they decide, oh, let's go down to BLM Plaza. Uh, that's okay. This is a, ending, yeah, a, 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 this is sounding more and more like a great family vacation. <laughs> so they go down to BLM Plaza, and he starts arguing. And that's where you see him in the, in the original clips. You know, talking to Baked Alaska and all those guys and, you know, all the Boogaloo monsters and all of that crap. And um, that's when he says, you know, I, I could get arrested for saying this, but I think we should go into the Capitol tomorrow. And, and the, the committee says to him, well, you know, why did you think you could be arrested for saying that? And Epps goes, oh, I didn't really. I, I was just trying to fit in. Well, nobody else was saying that. Mm. He was the only one saying that. Everyone so was what was he trying fed. to fit into? <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, it goes on. They go, oh, okay, and they move on from that. Then there's two hours. His son leaves. His son's friend leaves. He stays at BLM Plaza the night of the 5th, you know, talking to all of these people who are only there to cause trouble, yeah. really. And there's a matter of hours missing where he was, what he was doing. Um, he wasn't back at the hotel. He was continuously making phone calls from his phone. And they say to him, well, you know, what happened? Where were you? Why weren't you with your son? You were there to protect your son, but you leave your son. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, we got separated. And I decided to walk back to the hotel and blah, blah, blah. You know, a couple of hours later, he arrives there, past midnight. And the committee says, oh, OK, and let's just move on. And then they're up again early the next morning. They're at the ellipse. They're standing in the freezing cold, um, you know, from 6 a.m., waiting for the president of the United States, the man that they've traveled from Arizona to come and see at the Ellipse on their great family vacation. And guess what they do? They leave before Trump starts speaking. Weird. And, and the committee says, oh, OK. You know, and then after that, there are clips of Ray Epps standing on the street showing people to the Capitol, going, it's that way, it's that way, go to the Capitol, go to the Capitol. And he says, they ask him, well, how long did it take you to get to the Capitol? And he says, 20 minutes. And it's not, (laughs) it's a 40-minute walk when there's no crowds, okay? Up a hill. (laughs) This is a a 60-year-old up a hill uh, in a city he doesn't know, and, and he, he claims that he talked to people, intervened with people, and used the restroom along the way ah. all in 20 minutes of a 40-minute walk. You know? And the committee says, everybody together now, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Nowhere in this testimony is his, are his ludicrous assertions and his half-baked stories ever pushed back on. And I just think... You know, there, there, I'm sure we've all felt this, right? We've all looked at the Ray Epps stuff and we've probably all felt like, is it real? Is he really a Fed? You know, yes. uh, do we have any actual evidence to prove this stuff out? Or are we just trying to pin the tail on the donkey here? But then you go through this testimony. It was the first time that I really went, oh, my God, he's definitely a Fed. Yeah. He's definitely a Fed. 
you know, because because not only does none of the story make sense, and and by the way, there's more if you want it. I, 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 I'll hold some back to drive people to the Substacks and they can read it themselves. But but uh, you know, not only does the story not make sense, and and, and nothing really check out. Um, but also the committee and the committee's attitude towards this is so flippant, so blasé, and so tiptoeing, like like on eggshells, like oh, we better not ask this because he may say something that implicates us in something else, right? Um, and there are times when he's saying things, and Adam Kinzinger chips in. Okay, for instance, right? He calls it a great family vacation, but then he contacts he contacts somebody in his local community to obtain. For his great family vacation, um, tourniquets, um, uh, gauze, and breathing tubes. Now, uh, uh, some people have reached out to me since I did that Substack and said to me, "Yeah, you know, I keep I keep uh, first aid equipment in my truck, and uh, especially if we're going hiking or something, I'll take first aid equipment." Yeah, sure. But not when you're going to a political rally in the nation's capital, which you claim is going to be a great family vacation. You know, unless unless you either intend to be part of something or you are so wantonly paranoid uh, that you think that that downtown in Washington, D.C., on one of the biggest days ever, there aren't going to be 20 ambulances on hand all around you. And there were, of course, we know that there were there, the, the place was just flooded with feds. Um, but for some reason, he decides to to take all of this equipment with him as well. But hang on now. But the next day, of course, on January the 6th, when he arrives uh, at the Capitol and he's asked by the committee, why did you want to go inside? Right. He has a two part response. His first part of the response is he says, well, I didn't want people going in and, and causing trouble. So I thought I'd better go there and, and, and try and stop them. Marines are always in the front. And then because he's a former Marine. And then he says, but also, I was very cold. I was not dressed for the day. But hold on a minute. This is a guy who is planning, you know, tourniquets, breathing tubes, scores, but he doesn't bring a coat, you know, in January in Washington, D.C. And like, forgive me for any Marines out there of making fun of this, <laughs> but Marines are, Marines are in the front. Yeah, but not because they're cold. Right? No, you know, he, no. well, this is what he left his jacket inside of the, the unmarked car. And, and then he had to say as part of his testimony that he was cold because obviously there was videos of him and not a jacket. <laughs> uh, the whole, the whole thing just stinks. I mean, it stinks. So and people he, have to read it. So he, he was, he was compiling a, First aid kit of sorts. Yes. With, yeah. With like a nasal pharyngeal airway tube for your nostril or something even higher end than that would be like a chest decompression for a pneumothorax or something. Ooh. But I mean, we you know what? I'd love to know. I'd love to know. But you know what? The committee doesn't ask. What kind of material did you bring? Who ended up providing you with this material? Did you ever end up using this material? Did you take it on the day with you? Was it in your pockets? Where did you stash it? You know, did you take it back to Arizona with you? Um, did you give it to anybody? You know, did you have to use it at all? None of these questions were asked. 
Who's Paul Carver? Stranger that you met with. Why did you meet with him? After, when you left on the 6th, when you left the Capitol, how did you get back to your hotel? He says, oh, I got in a car with some stranger. Mm. Who was the stranger? Was you know, did guy, you keep in touch? Did you exchange ride. numbers? <laughs> was his first name Agent? He had my jacket. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all there. It's all there. Uh, it's 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 it's, it's actually quite insulting um, that it's this that it's this transparent. Is it is Ray Epps ever going to see the other side of justice? Like right now, he is pretty much received the treatment, which is the opposite of everyone that yeah, has been. All these other people did less than he did, and they're locked up and throw, throw the key away. There's people who weren't even at January 6th who have been detained for a over a year and now are getting their court dates for this coming September. So they weren't at. They were, what, like in the area? They took a flight or they were posting on Facebook about it? Mm-hmm. What, what? All, all of the, of the above? above. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the answer to that question, I think, is is in the hands of this Congress. You know, will they call him back? Um, will they have a real a real investigation into January the sixth and call him back and actually ask these difficult questions? Because you remember what happened when Ted Cruz asked uh, the lady from the FBI um, if if they had any any uh, agents involved in that day, and she said, "I cannot answer that question, Mister Senator." She was squirming. Um, she was squirming. Yeah, and I believe she sounded exactly what I just sounded like. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, and there are more, by the way. There are more aberrations, more strange things that happened uh, in that testimony uh, that, that, that nobody has even scratched the surface of yet. And so this was my gift to the world, going through this. It's, it's on the substack. Um, oh, of course. I mean, the big one, the big one is is – you know, immediately as he leaves the Capitol, his nephew texts him and says, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And Ray Epps replies, I orchestrated it. <laughs> and when they asked and him the, what that meant, oh, that's cool. Yes. That's cool. No, Next I'm question. An, they, I'm they, an they, amateur so conductor. They, they, asked, they asked him. They asked him what it meant. They asked him why he said he orchestrated it. And he said. He goes, oh, well, you'd have to understand my relationship with my nephew. We go hunting together and stuff. What? Okay. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, is that the Joe Biden answer to, to that question? <laughs> it's just complete nonsense. And, of course, what did the committee say to that? Next. Oh, okay. Next question. Yeah, next question. I feel like if they get any closer to him, like, just – losing his shit and just admitting everything, then we're going to have a situation where we're going to have to say Ray Epps did not, not kill himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to need one of those tourniquets for himself. <laughs> no, you yeah. want to, you want, you want to know what? And, and I've it's read neck tourniquet. I've read that Substack several times and I still, every time I go through it, as you were talking about parts of it, I'm remembering it because there's so much in there that you, you kind of give the audience which is even more than, than the actual transcripts, which I did read part of, and then I got an eye headache. So well, I and it's also it. ridiculous that you read it, and then you go back and read another part of it, and you're like, I missed this the first time because I was so right. flabber- flabbergasted by the line previous. Meanwhile, other people were getting interviewed, and it's like, so on January 6th, what part of the Capitol did you enter? And it's like, I wasn't even in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Jail forever. Straight to right. jail. Believe it or not, jail. Yeah. <laughs> Straight <laughs> to jail. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, I laugh, but it's it's not it's not funny that this is that this is the way that we have to to you know that we're conducting kind of 
um, open source justice here um, as regards this uh, this day. And it, it, again, you know, we know all of the things that were wrong, right? We know about AOC lying about where she was yep. and, you know, all of her fears about that. We know about, you know, the, the pipe bomber, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about the pipe bomber because I have a theory. Where was Ray Epps for those couple of hours at night on January the 5th? Looking for his jacket. <laughs> yeah, was he looking for it near the DNC? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, but but you know what I mean. Like like, I remember MTG at one point was supposed to be the pipe bomber. No, you know, um, the side by side video of her carrying the briefcase <laughs> and then the pipe bomber carrying the pipe bombs. It's like literally her gate, her walk, everything. And I'm like, oh god, Jeez. it's like a Bigfoot video. But but you know, it, and it reminds me of the thing. I, 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 I somebody tweeted this recently. Uh, they said. Um, you know, at the end of last year, the, the U.S. government effectively admitted uh, that they killed JFK. Yep. And everybody just went, yeah, yeah obviously, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's kind of like that now with January the 6th. If you talk to people who are not, you know, psychopaths or sociopaths, um, you know, and uh, by which I mean Democrat voters, <laughs> if you talk to ordinary people about January 6th, most of them are like, yeah, it was just like. You know, it just doesn't seem right to me. Mm -hmm. And so and so I just I really want to hammer this thing home. No, I mean, as far as everything goes from the pregame to the game day to the optics to the non-justice we're getting right now. Right. And two-tiered justice that a lot of normal people are getting, lives destroyed, kids don't see their parents, you know, you name it, it's happened. People have committed suicide. Uh, yep. I mean, just for this guy to be still walking free, it's 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 obvious that there's a completely two-tiered level of how they're they're handling this. This is kind of like the, the road that this Justice Department has paved, and we're heading down it right now in regards to the Joe Biden and Donald Trump special counsels, where one's going to probably end in, guys, for reals, look at him. <laughs> classified smashified like he didn't know what he took and then the other one's going to be like donald trump not only lied but obstructed justice and is the worst person ever we've got a couple scumbags in his inner circle to flip indictment mm. and, and and we're kind of there raheem mm. the last thing i want to touch with you on just regarding this because I, I think it's important you did mention the new congress now i know you have referred to it in some contexts maybe on other podcasts while you're cheating on us, saying mm -hmm. how the the optimism it's not cheating, we're in an open relationship. Ooh, no, oh. he, there you go. He got one. He hasn't got, <laughs> he hasn't gotten a ding yet though. So let's see if we what we could do because we're going to start talking about larger entities like the Republican yes. House majority here. Entities. So, so you've compared it to instead of being optimistic, like moving the deck furniture around the sinking Titanic. Yes. And. Uh, yes. I like to have a little bit more optimism than that, but but can you explain why are you picking that narrative right now? And do you think in regards to just this specific item here or things related to January 6th, can they at least begin to get the job done? Um, yeah. I mean, it depends on what the job is though. And this is what, this is why I, why I, you know, to use your words, picked this narrative. I didn't pick this narrative, by the way. I don't choose to feel <laughs> this way about these people. Um, I, I just have an instinct for these things. And my instinct right now is telling me that if you want to change the course of, of the nation, 
it's going to take a lot more than than Kevin McCarthy, yeah. a slim majority, um, and 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 you know credit where it's due. What looks like at least a functional oversight committee, right? But it's going to take way more than that. Why did the Republicans not do as well as they had hoped during the midterm elections? Like there's 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 one major overarching region. region. <laughs> it's vision. Yeah. Vision. They didn't present a vision. They didn't present a vision to the American public. They didn't give them anything positive to go out and vote for. They give plenty of negatives. Yep. We're not Joe Biden and Hunter's a pile of crap and inflation's bad and, you know, all of this stuff. But they didn't present a positive vision. OK, well, they're not doing that now either. You know, now they've got this, these reins of power. They've got these committees. They've got the ability. They've got, uh, you know, the, the wind at their backs but I'm still not seeing a vision. Now, vision requires leadership. It requires thought leadership. It requires philosophical leadership. And it requires, um, honestly, something that nobody appears to have on Capitol Hill at the moment, barring maybe Matt Gates, right? Which is, which is yeah, a couple of big brass ones, mm. right? To, to, to be able to walk up to any television camera, to be able to walk up to any set of sticks, any microphones, um, into any chamber, into any room and say, you know, like, like Thatcher used to do and slam, you know, the book on the table. In her case, it was the road to serfdom and slam the book on the table and say, this is what we believe. Right. And every conversation that we have should revolve around how we implement what we believe. But if you don't have something that everyone is willing, if you can't, if you don't have a book to point to, if you don't have a, a, a constitution, a mantra, a, a, a manifesto that you can point to and say, this is what we believe, um, then it's hard to get people all around to pull in the right direction. Now, I was gratified to see um, today that the New, York, the New York Young Republicans, which is one of the most um, impactful organizations, you might say apparatus, on the political right. Got him. Um, <laughs> today came out with a policy platform. And I think that's very helpful because it gives the people who want to provide the political leadership something to slam on the desk in Thatcherite fashion and say, this is what we believe. We can stop having the fucking arguments yeah. now about what we believe in. This is what we believe. Now we talk about how we're going to do it. But as at this point in time, I report to you live from Capitol Hill, that is not the case. Nope. You're right. I mean, I do like the reference to... I think we're going to rebrand him Big Balls Gates on this show because, <laughs> listen, not, not only did he call out every single one of his coworkers, he called out some of his best friends. He went on national television, some of the highest rating shows. Like He went on Tucker Carlson repeatedly and said, Donald Trump is straight up wrong for this. And for someone yeah. who's been such a, 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 you know, a hardcore supporter of, of the president and to go out there and say, like, listen, we love Donald Trump. We just don't like all of his picks sometimes. Like, it's cool when... I say it, and it's cool when other micro-influencers say it, but when you have Matt Gates, who's, who's got a pretty big reputation and, and apparently now even a bigger mouth, um, you know, to go out there and say it, he backed it, he backed it up, and uh, I'd like to see that fight out of a lot more, and I'd like to see more things like policy um, 
and things coming out of places like the New York Young Republicans Club, because you're right, that's what we need. We're all going to get the investigations. We're all going to get the committees. We're all going to get the dunk fests that, you know, make up for the two and three minute clips that we like to play on the show because they're funny. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is where are we going in, in, in bettering the party, bettering the nation, serving the people? And, and that's the big disconnect. Uh, you, you know, unfortunately, we had the pleasure of speaking with Harmie Dillon today. And she, you know, one of the <laughs> things we brought up to was that the fact that, the elite within the Republican Party and the grassroots have a major disconnect, and she even admitted, like, it gets to a point to where the money starts rolling in, and then you don't feel like you need the grassroots anymore. You could just start stepping on them and walking over them and ignoring them, and then we get into a place like this now where the entire, you know, state Congress in Michigan gets flipped after 50 years of being Republican like this year, and we're making, instead of gains, losses in places like Ohio and Wisconsin uh, across the board in, in the elections, and, and places like Arizona and Pennsylvania are almost now Republican no-go zones. And uh, we really need to start getting back to the basics and showing the American people not only are we right, but we have avenues to get to that right place and, and i think that's yeah. an excellent point that you made and uh but i just want to tell you two two things real quick number one uh to, to you know put a finer point on what you were just saying i was telling somebody last night that the difference is you know if if every republican and every democrat on capitol hill were given the option to to not have to take the positions they take um and, and, and thereby not have to deal with their base anymore. Most Republicans, if they didn't have the base holding them to account, would abdicate their positions on abortion, would yep. abdicate their positions on all of these things immediately, right? Very few Democrats would. They are, they are ideologues about, about their belief system, and we are not. That is a big problem. The second thing I just wanted to tell you, something really funny I've never told anyone before, yes. but... On the run-up to um, Christmas is obviously gala season, and I was invited to uh, a gala uh, by our friends at um, um, the uh, American Moment. Um, and when one of the donors heard that I was coming, they, they took me off their table and put me on one of the top tables with them. And as I walked into the um, hall, Matt Gates was there, and we know each other rather well, so, you know, we just chit-chatting and i said so what you know what's what's gonna what's your plan and he goes oh um to make kevin mccarthy's life a, a, a living hell <laughs> and and i said well how are you going to do that uh, you know barring everything else you already do and he goes he don't have the votes you know how you know how gates talks he goes he don't have the votes and i went um i went well what do you mean he goes he don't have the votes i said well <laughs> you know eventually people are going to vote for him he goes he don't have the votes. <laughs> and I just said, well, you know, what does it mean in practice? Like, and he just sort of walked me through the whole plan. And I, like everybody else, watched everything take place on, you know, C-SPAN and, you know, reading it on my phone, Twitter in real time, except I was one of the few people in the world who was given like far, far advanced notice that it was going to go down in exactly the way it went down. So people were lighting me up, tweeting and, and, and DMing me and texting me and saying like, are you watching this? Are you watching this? And I actually turned around at one point. I said, no, I already know how it ends. <laughs> I've been told how this is going to go. So that was just really funny to me that, that uh, well, there was all of that drama taking place in that week. I kind of had my feet up and it was like, yeah, I've already been written, you know, read in on this. I know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, we, we talk with a lot of different people who are connected to a lot of different Congress people. 
And the fact of the matter is they were actually surprised of how almost perfectly Matt Gates's plan unfolded. Uh, you know, I talked to people on Lauren Bobert's team, people that are connected to uh, Representative Nels, and they were saying, like, listen, we're, we're kind of like, we had the goal line, and, and we're, like, in the stands right now of where we're trying to land shit. And they got it all. They got the people that they wanted on the committees that they needed. They got people into, you know, House leadership for the first time when it comes to House Freedom Caucus members and stuff like that. And I guess we're just going to have to see. It's, it's like all these, you know, they get elected for a reason, but their voting record and, and how much of a spine they're willing to show up against the, uh, you know, administrative state is going to define on, on whether or not they got the job done for the American people. The well, one of, the, one of the best parts was that, um, you know, they, they forced Kevin McCarthy to go in front of a camera, pull out a rusty blade and castrate himself live. <laughs> you know, that that was one of the best parts of this, because yeah. one of the biggest problems of this whole process is not it's not who sits on the committees and it's not who has the power. And it's like, the biggest problem is just two words. Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Right. That's that's it. So. So, yeah, it was a, it was a very well played hand. I wish they had gone on for longer. I would have personally dragged it out over the weekend and made him really feel the pain. Um, but of course, Congress people being Congress people didn't want to keep voting over the weekend, didn't want to keep working over the weekend, um, wanted to go home. And so they wrapped it up, you know. You can only eat so much five guys. I mean, it was nice how, how mad uh, Princess Crenshaw got too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, referring to himself as 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 I, I Patrick McCain on national television <laughs> is is you know Dan Crenshaw posting. There should be an account, a Twitter account, Dan Crenshaw posting his L's, but it's just that clip getting posted every day. Like in case you didn't know, this was my nickname. Now you do. <laughs> hey, listen, they say really mean things, really mean off the wall. Like you would never believe it. They call me I Patrick McCain. <laughs> and I, I was sitting there watching, and I was like. He just said it. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tweet it fast enough. He said the line. Oh, gosh. Raheem, we appreciate Substack. the Substack. Substack. Yeah. Got to link it in the show description today. We need more people to subscribe to yours because it's one of the only places they're going to get. Listen, I, I could confirm that Raheem doesn't write. I believe they're called like backwards editorials. He said mine are. Uh, it, no, not, no. <laughs> See, you always twist my words. I said you're backing into them. I didn't backing say backing into them. That would be rude. My, my and you know me. I'm never rude. What am I, Harmie Dylan? Oh, Ooh. Damn! <laughs> we hit every button at the same time. <laughs> hey, hey, you want to know what? For, on that note. for what it took to get her on steak for breakfast twice, she deserves a little bit of that. Where we find you on social media, is, Raheem, we're going to definitely live link the Pulse. We'll live link the Substack. Where else? Um, You know... I can't stand saying Twitter, but but Twitter, uh, I'm still shadow banned to high heaven on there. Yeah. And then um, Instagram and, and funny enough, my Facebook page, which used to be my main conduit back in the day when people were on the Facebooks, um, has somewhat undergone a resurgence that we reached five million people on Facebook last mm -hmm. week. So. Uh, we're on there as well. And it's different types of content than you get on the other platforms. It's more boomer content, by the way. Mm. Yeah, it is. So I've seen a couple boomer memes out there today. But, uh, like, have you guys seen, just a side note real quick, the meme, it's like Klaus Schwab, Al Gore, Joe <laughs> Biden, and it's like, like if these people serve Satan. And I'm just like, boomer meme of the day, gotta share it. <laughs> You're like, so. how do I super like this? <laughs> yeah.
Exactly. But Raheem, we'll, we'll be sure to be inviting you back on the show again soon. We love uh, when you come and spend a little time with us because uh, we let you go and it usually leads to the good time that we had today. And uh, we appreciate it. This is the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, one of our great friends, Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I feel like we did a lot more work than the finished product is going to be today. <laughs> I'm sorry, Noah. I know you're going to be giving me dirty looks when I say number two. But you know what? At the end of the day, if you enjoyed this show and want to hear the now over 200 other episodes of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podedit, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our guests today. RNC Chair Candidate, Miss Harmeet Dillon, Editor-in-Chief of the National Pulse, Sir Raheem Kassam, and one of our great friends, newly engaged, Newsweek Editor and Podcast Host, Josh Hammer. Congratulations, Josh. Love it. Guys, don't forget to go and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you make small American businesses great again. Namely, MyPillow. Everybody likes sleep. Most of us enjoy coffee. You enter promo code steak at checkout. You're going to get big, big savings on both. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything that you need in the bedroom. MyStore.com forward slash steak if you want the coffee. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you're serious about podcasting, you're making a little bit of music, Go and get yourself taken care of. Make the investment. Odyssey.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars. Everybody enjoys one. Noah was enjoying one today. I was. Delicious. Smelled great. You enter promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your total order. All orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping. $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Jerky. Get a promo code stay here. You're getting $5 off your order. You order a 12-pack, free shipping. Gotta love it. FarmerBillsJerky.com. Go get uh, some snacks to eat while you're listening to Steak for Breakfast. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Upcoming shows. I'll wait for the interlude. Asshole. <laughs> We're coming back on Friday. Not much rest here. But it should be a good one. Ren, the raw egg nationalist, is going to be here to talk about his newest. I've been eating raw eggs. Op-ed. Yes, you have. Devin Nunez is going to be here as well. It's going to be a good show. I think we're going to circle back with Corey Mills, who and Kevin Kylie were district-related reschedules today. Next Tuesday, we're going to be back. Christina Bob kicking off her new book. Matt Whitaker talking special counsels times two. Mm. Boris Epstein hammering away at everything MAGA. And we're going to get a Davos post-game press conference from none other than great friend Norbin Laden. Following week, Jake Denton, former Trump administration acting ICE director Tom Holman, Kevin Kiley's already rescheduled, and Trump attorney Alina Habel will be here on the 27th. Max Miller scheduled on the 31st and looking forward a little bit into February. Cash Patel will be here on the 3rd of February. And we finally locked it in. One of the busiest congressmen and one of our great friends. One of our first interviews when we hit the midterm election cycle, Mike Collins will be here. Nice. 
Yeah, coming in hot out of Georgia. So I like it. Friends of the week, got my list right here. Truth, social, Twitch, streamer, crew, Beastie Man, Siberian Kitten, some call me Tim79, 13 Gen Patriot, and Thomas Bama. Big shares this week on Truth Social. The Twitter crew, William, I saw you drop the S, so we'll just call you William without the S. Johnny Maga, good shares. Real Al Gorbachev. Did we find the upside down guy? You know what? I have a theory. I'm almost there. Wayne Dupree gave us a good share last night, and he's kind of sick of being repressed on social media. Welcome to the team, Wayne Dupree. Spoopy, creeping. Mm-hmm. Ghost Hammer. Yep. Was highly concerned we didn't put out a show yesterday, but here we are. I didn't get the memo. So here's the thing. There's an account that just disappears and appears. Here comes the Upside Down Man. Now the Upside Down Man is gone. Nightwing X liking, sharing, and commenting on everything. And Nightwing X is like a Robin avatar from Batman. Mm-hmm. I think it might be his alter ego. He's we, a superhero. We can only hope. Yep. And Ghost Hammer, I know we already mentioned you, but we love you. Can't forget the meme team. John Hacker LA, My Willow Memes. Namrock Namrock, C3P Meme got the Steak for Breakfast share this week, as did Edward Russell, Right Wing Savages, Let's Go Brenda, and Who White Memes. Guys, thanks to remember between, well, over the course of the next 48 hours. Number one, do your own research. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Number two, start a podcast. Factual. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Davos is going on right now. World Economic Forum. That is the opposite of American greatness. Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, and Friends are all definitely not doing American greatness. We need to start talking about it. We're talking about it here. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 205 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back on Friday, 206. Devin Nunes, Brog Nationalist, and who knows who else is going to show up. On behalf of the pot team, I'm Ron. Noah. Later. Antoinette. You guys. Thanks for listening and take care. Shout! Shout out his name!